Welcome to 1514, a podcast of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. 1514 draws its name from Romans 1514, where the Apostle Paul encourages the church that they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to counsel one another. I'm your host and the executive director of the BCC, Dr. Curtis Solomon, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Thank you for joining us for this episode of 1514. It is a pleasure and delight to have you as part of our audience. So thank you for listening and thank you for sharing the word about 1514 and the Biblical Counseling Coalition. Today, I don't have any guests joining me for the podcast. This is going to be me talking for a while about a particular topic, a very sensitive and very important topic, the topic of abuse. And as biblical counselors, we are constantly thinking about, talking about, interacting with, and learning about abuse. And we are regularly ministering to people who are impacted by abuse, both those who are perpetrating abuse as well as victims of abuse uh, directly and indirectly. So this is something that we are constantly addressing and dealing with. But from time to time, things happen that draw the public's mind and attention and eye to the topic of abuse. And we want to take time when that happens to speak to this very important topic, not in order to build up our own following or as clickbait in a sense, but really to take advantage of the public conversation and address and speak to what God's word has to say about abuse, the hope, the help that is available to those who are involved in abuse or are victims of abuse. And there are a few different uh, things that have been catalysts for this conversation at this time, and I'll address those later. But first, I want to address a few different populations or, or audience groups that I know may be listening to this uh, that are impacted by the issue of abuse. And I just want to address you first and foremost and tell you what I hope you get out of this. First of all, I want to address victims. I want to tell victims of abuse, first and foremost, that God loves you and he is for you. And the biblical counseling movement loves you and is for you as well. We are on your side. God has very clear instruction for us on how we should care for and minister to you, and we want to faithfully do that well. Not everybody does that well, and we understand that, and we want to uh, grow in that and encourage those who are struggling to grow in that as well, but you are loved, you are cared for, we want to help you and want to bring what's best for you. Uh, second group or audience that I want to address is faithful biblical counselors. There are many of you out there who are just faithfully plugging away and serving. And I want to uh, commend you in that and encourage you to press forward, to keep on, keep learning, keep growing, and keep ministering well. In particular, there are many who are ministering well to victims of abuse. And I want to commend you and praise you for that and let you know that I'm praying for you because I know that is a difficult, difficult um, ministry. It's a good ministry. It is a great ministry, but it is a difficult one. And God is giving you the strength uh, to do it and to enter into that darkness and bring his light into very dark places. For some, there are biblical counselors I know who are struggling maybe with a commitment to biblical counseling because they are frustrated by or discouraged by some statements or public things that have been said by biblical counselors that they strongly disagree with or feel like misrepresent uh, what is true and right and good about God's word and what he says to victims of abuse. I want to encourage you to just stay faithful. The one thing I'm going to share is that the overwhelming majority of biblical counseling leaders, biblical counseling teaching, biblical counseling resources are, are excellent. 
and on the side of protection and for the biblical, the victims of abuse. So don't be discouraged just because some of us misstep and misspeak or say things that are wrong from time to time. We all err, but that error should not draw us away from the truth of God's word and the work that he has called us to. Another audience member group that I want to address maybe are those biblical counselors who are advocating positions that are harmful to the vulnerable. I want to encourage you to listen to what I'm going to say today, read some excellent resources that are out there on biblical counseling and abuse, which we will share a link to in our show notes. Um, And listen to God's word and what he has to say about caring for those who are vulnerable and just grow. We know none of us are perfect, none of us counsel perfectly, and we all have room to grow. But if this is an area where you're struggling or maybe you are, you have been ignorant in what the scriptures say and what they would call you to as biblical counselors, please grow in that understanding. And then I also want to address those who take times like this to be adversarial against biblical counseling. And I hope that I can encourage you to maybe engage with us on a more uh, honest and real and maybe even local level. Um, And just let you know that we love you. We care for you. Even if you disagree with us, even if you see us as enemies, um, we want to faithfully exemplify the love of Christ and engage with you in conversation and and help you grow and understand uh, what we are about, why we're about it, why we do what we do and how we do it. So the first thing that I want to get at as far as the content of what I want to talk about is what is biblical counseling for when it comes to the topic of abuse. Uh, There are lots of books out there on the topic of abuse, and we're going to link to resources that will point you to all of those. And as I mentioned before, the overwhelming majority of those in biblical counseling speak to a, in a very common voice, a very common thread that we are for protecting and defending and advocating for the vulnerable, the weak, and the oppressed. Uh, I'm indebted to many, many people, one of which is my dear brother, Dr. Bob Kellerman. And recently, Bob shared a really vulnerable but powerful blog on his blog through RPM Ministries. And the title of that blog is called Shepherds Please Think Protect Well, Please Stop Saying Suffer Well. And again, you will be able to find a link to that in our show notes. But one of the things that Bob does is just draws from... Jesus teaching about our calling as shepherds of people who care for others, uh, specifically as pastors, but I think we can apply this principle as well to biblical counselors, following the example of Jesus, our good shepherd. And John 10, 10 through 14 says this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. So you see there, even in the beginning, Jesus is for life. He is for our flourishing. He is for our success and our healthy and our, and he is for us. Goes on to say, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. He's pointing to people who would see somebody in danger and run away and saying they are not good shepherds. They are bad shepherds. They are not stewards following after the example of their good shepherd. So we as biblical counselors, we as pastors, we as ministry leaders cannot abandon the hurting, the vulnerable, the weak, the oppressed when they are in danger. 
when the and picking up again in John chapter 10, when the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it, the man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. We are called to protect the sheep. Whether you are a pastor or a lay counselor or whatever role you play in, in caring for the souls of others, you are called to protect the vulnerable, the weak, the oppressed. You are called to care for sheep, not abandon them, not run away. And we do that because we're following the example of our good shepherd who lays down his own life for the sake of his sheep. So that's kind of what biblical counseling is for in a sense. And then biblical counseling is also against counseling or teaching that would push someone towards abuse or training that would encourage others to counsel people in a way that would push them towards abuse. And the reason we have these positions is not arbitrary. It's not because we have any particular bent politically or otherwise. It's because this is God's position. He is for protection and against harm. He is for people doing well and watching out for the vulnerable, the weak and the oppressed and against those who abandon them, forsake them or push them towards further harm. And I'm just going to read you not every Bible verse that relates to this, but a number just so you can see very clearly from scripture that this is God's position. So James 127, which many of us are familiar with and many of us hold high in our hearts, says this, James 127, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Isaiah 1.17 says, Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Proverbs 31.8-9 Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Psalm 82, 3 through 4, give justice to the weak and to the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Psalm 82, 3, give justice to the weak and to the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Jeremiah 22, 3, Thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. And do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. Psalm 68, 5, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Psalm 140, 12, I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and will execute justice for the needy. Isaiah 25, 4, for you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat, for the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against a wall. Deuteronomy 10:18. he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Psalm 12, 5, because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in safety. For which he longs. Psalm 10, 18, do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. Jeremiah 5, 28, they have grown fat and sleek. They know no bounds in deeds of evil. They judge not 
with justice the cause of the fatherless. To make it prosper, they do not defend the rights of the needy. And Jeremiah there is writing in condemnation of those who abandon, who ignore the needs of the, of the oppressed and the needy, while at the same time fattening themselves and taking care of their own desires. Deuteronomy 27, 19, Cursed is anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. And all the people shall say, Amen. Psalm 146, 9, The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked brings to ruin. Matthew 25, 40, And the king will answer them, Our king Jesus, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Isaiah 1, 23, Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. Psalm 82, 4, Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. You can see and you can hear from those, again, not every Bible verse, but quite a few, the heart of God, that he is for those who are vulnerable, for those who are weak and in situations where they are under attack. And he wants his people to step in and to defend them, to stand up for them and to help them in their times of trouble, because that is what he does for us. So that is what biblical counseling is for, because that is what God is for. And I just want to shout it loud and clear for everybody to hear, because one of the things that has brought this to our attention is people who have heard some things that some biblical counselors have said that they disagree with have come to us and said, is this what biblical counseling is about? Is this what biblical counseling is for? And I just want to state, no, this, what I just talked about, what scripture says, that is what biblical counseling stands for when it comes to helping and ministering to those who are abused. So what, one of the things that I want to encourage us to do is also think about how we respond to those who attack us and who make accusations against us. So one of those things that we need to do first is, is consider the source of the criticism. So when somebody comes to you with an example of poor teaching or maybe wrong teaching or something they disagree with in biblical counseling, and you even disagree with it, and they say, is this what biblical counseling teaches? Before you answer, I think it's important to ask, is this a genuine question? Is this a genuine concern? Because sometimes the people who are raising these questions aren't doing it because they actually care about biblical counseling. They're actually adversarial to biblical counseling, and they don't like it, and they're just trying to point out any error that they see to justify their dislike for and attack against biblical counseling. If that's really the motivation, if that's really the heart of somebody, then responding to them is akin to casting pearls before swine, and we just don't need to do that. But if but there are people who are genuinely concerned. There are people who are genuinely asking, is this what you guys believe? Because I'm not sure I want to uh, study what you guys teach if this is what you think. And in, in that case, then engage the person. And what I would encourage you to do first and foremost is not go directly to the the small or minority perspective that they are promoting, but go to them, especially on this topic of abuse, and say, this is what biblical counseling teaches. And say the overwhelming majority of biblical counseling is on the right track. We are for people. We are bringing hope and help and healing to the hurting people through God's word. And here's some excellent resources. And let me share with you uh, some different authors you can read and just promote what is good in biblical counseling. 
And for those who are online, who are spreading a negative narrative about biblical counseling, I want to encourage you to stop and think for a moment. If, if maybe you found yourself uh, reposting or retweeting or uh, sharing out some of the negative things that have been put out about biblical counseling re- recently, I want, to, I want to just, as a brother in Christ, encourage you and challenge you to stop and pause and think for a moment. And I want to encourage you to check a few things. And the first, first thing I want to encourage you to stop and consider is your main goal. What is the goal that you are hoping to achieve through sharing out those negative concepts, those negative stories, the negative narrative about biblical counseling? I think oftentimes it falls in the two main areas um, where we one direction we should go and one direction we shouldn't go. It is a very common practice in our contemporary culture, especially the culture that is lived out online, to pursue the silencing of those who differ from or oppose our own position. When we hear something we disagree with, when we hear something we don't like, when we hear something that potentially is dangerous and harmful, we want to silence them. So we just come with overwhelming public pressure to shut them down and to silence them. But I want to encourage you to think differently about that goal. Our goal should actually, biblically, when we disagree with somebody, when we think they're in sin, when, when whatever, something comes up that is amiss, God calls us to address it in a way of pursuing persuasion, not silencing them. The Bible encourages us that we should move towards our brothers and sisters we disagree with, listen to them, ask them questions, and then try to understand their position and then persuade them to the truth. Matthew 18, obviously, is dealing with a brother who sins against you. But the first step is to go and to ask them in private what's happening, what's their perspective, what's going on, and talk to them about the situation. And Matthew 18, 15 says, 18, 15 says, if he listens to you, you have won your brother. Let me ask you this. If there's somebody who you've heard online or you've heard a teaching from at some point who you radically disagree with, is it better for them just to be shut down or would it be better for their heart to be changed, to be transformed and to be put in alignment with what is true and right and honorable and good and just and worthy of praise? That should be our goal. When we have somebody who was against what we believe turn and before what we believe, that speaks volumes more than if we just shut them down and silence them. So I want to encourage you to move against the cultural trend of silencing people, the what we've nicknamed cancel culture, and move towards a culture of love and respect that seeks to persuade, not just silence. The second thing I want you to do is I want you to think about and consider your method. The, the primary methodology of today's dispute and what causes division is public pressure. And again, I, I, I want to encourage you to think about what Scripture says. And there is a place for public pressure in certain contexts and in certain situations. But private persuasion is actually a, our primary source of persuasion. It is an important uh, in the order in which we go about trying to persuade somebody. And it's the most powerful. Going to somebody with wisdom, gentleness, humility, and love to persuade them to our position rather than just bringing public pressure to get them to silence or, or to maybe capitulate, it's better to use wisdom and humility to persuade. 
the Bible is really clear on that as well. Proverbs has lots of things to say about how we can be persuasive. Proverbs 25 has a number of verses related to this topic. Proverbs 25, 11, and 12 says, Like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstance. Like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. Proverbs 25, 15 goes on to say, By forbearance a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue breaks the bone. The point there is not to get violent with somebody, but to say, show how gentleness and kind, kind words have power. Typically what happens if we come in with accusations and we attack people, that builds walls of defense, defensiveness, separates people, causes isolation and disagreement. One of my mentors had a phrase that said, questions prick the conscience, accusations build walls. So if we go in trying to understand the other person, where they're coming from, what their position is, it better enables us to respond with gentleness, wisdom, and humility to that and actually persuade them to our position rather than just silencing them by accusation or oppression or even just causing them maybe to dig in their heels against us uh, because they because of the manner in which we bring our reproach. So another proverb that encourages us to, to move into private persuasion well and seek to bring somebody to our position with kindness, gentleness, and humility is Proverbs 16, 21. It says, The wise in heart will be called understanding, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. You see the, the proverb there tying together wisdom and sweetness of speech. A wise person uses gentleness, humility, kindness in our words in order to persuade somebody to our position. Uh, another proverb that we many of us use is Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up dissension. We know that if we move into a conflict with harshness, cruelty, meanness, and attack, somebody's going to harden their position against us rather than being soft and gentle, listening to what we actually have to say and being open to persuasion. Proverbs 16, 23, and 24 go on to say, The heart of the wise instructs his mouth and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Pleasant words are honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. So again, when you move into conflict, go at it with through private persuasion first and foremost rather than trying to bring public pressure to the person to silence them, or to convince them, because honestly, that public pressure is not going to convince them. It may silence them, or it may get them to capitulate, but how much better would it be to persuade them to our position, to have them turn away from their wrong thinking and turn to right thinking? Now, public pressure can be used if private persuasion has failed. Matthew 18, 15 through 20 goes through this step that we walk through when somebody is in sin. We go to them one-on-one, If they don't listen to us, we go to them with a couple other people to try to persuade. We're building our argument. We're building the the number of people that that are showing them the error of their ways. And then ultimately, if they refuse to turn from sin, we bring it to before the church. Now, I know that disagreement is not always sin, so we want to be careful not to draw too strong of a parallel. But I believe the Bible does lay that pattern out for us, that it's better to go to somebody in private to address disputes, concerns, um, conflicts, and then bring in more people as necessary. There is a place for public pressure. There is 
the reality that when the majority of people in our community call us to account that we are going, it's going to pause, cause us to pause and consider and think about our position, the direction we're going in life, whatever it is, and to make us think about where we are and, and you be used as a tool in God's hands to bring us around to the truth and what is right. But we need to do that after we've made attempts to go to the person in private. So if you have heard or seen teaching from somebody in biblical counseling on the topic of abuse that you disagree with, I want to encourage you first and foremost to reach out to that individual. And don't reach out in blatant, rude attacks and just say you're wrong, you're horrible, you're evil, you hate people. That's just going to build defenses and and they're not going to listen to you. But if you reach out with humility and love and gentleness and kindness and attempt to persuade them, that's what you should do. So if you haven't done that yet, I want you to, if you've gone online and blasted people online, to go to that person, repent and say publicly and to and privately to that person, I, I sinned against you by disparaging your name before coming to you and talking to you about this. If you can't connect with that person individually directly, which I understand we, we can't all do that, uh, go to the church or organization that individual is a part of and, and encourage them through gentleness, humility, a well-worded letter to call their brother or sister to account and to encourage them to consider and change their thinking. But if you haven't done those steps first, you're out of, out of bounds in going to a public foray to call them t- to some kind of account online or publicly. If you have made those attempts, those have failed, go ahead and go online publicly, but do it with, a, again, a spirit of gentleness, humility, hoping to persuade and love the person that you disagree with. James 1.19, which most of us are familiar with, that we should be slow to speak and quick to listen, should encourage us as well in our online communications. While we may not think of it directly because we're not talking, um, we can be very quick to repost, share, type up something really quick and put it out online. That's a form of quick speech. You need to be sure that you're taking time to slow down, think about what you're doing before you jump on online and do that, especially if you're going to be doing something that's hostile or attacking people. When we do this, when we ignore the procedure that God has called us to, we run a number of risks. Uh, just a few of those risks are causing division, right? Our, our world has been divided over the last few years over so many different things. We don't need to divide over abuse. We need to unite over abuse and how we actually care for and minister to people. It also potentially makes you look foolish. When you rush into something and argue something quickly without actually thinking about hearing the other side, addressing things well, Proverbs 25, 8 through 10 warns uh, that that we're going to potentially look like fools. It says, do not go out hastily to argue your case. Otherwise, what will you do in the end when your neighbor humiliates you? When you go out too quickly without thinking, without actually understanding the full uh, basis of what you're arguing against, you're, the person you're arguing against can turn around and show that you are acting foolishly. Instead, the Proverbs goes on to say, argue your case with your neighbor. Again, you see that private before public uh, address. And do not reveal the secret to another, or he who hears it will reproach you, and the evil report about you will not pass away. You can build for yourself a negative reputation uh, with the community, with the culture, with the church, 
and build a negative reputation for the church if we quickly jump online and start attacking each other rather than following God's encouragement to go privately, seek to persuade with humility and gentleness, but instead go publicly, you will bring a disgrace to your own name. You'll bring yourself a bad reputation. And worst of all, we can bring disgrace upon the name of Christ. Jesus said, people will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. The opposite is equally true. We will tear down Christ and his name and the call to be a Christian, if we as Christians run around attacking and tearing each other down and are not treating each other well and with love. So check your me- your, motiva- uh, your main goal. Consider your uh, methodology when you're addressing somebody you disagree with. And another thing I want you to do is, uh, is check your motivation. Are you doing this out of love for everyone, including the person, people, or group that you are attacking or disparaging online? I know that most of you who are out there pointing out the errors of some who proclaim things that are contrary to God's word and teaching on the issue of abuse are doing so because you care for, you love, and you're concerned for victims. And I agree that we should have the victims as our primary concern, but the Bible calls us to love everyone, including our enemies. Fellow believers in Jesus Christ Fellow brothers and sisters, even those, especially in biblical counseling within our community, fellow brothers and sisters who are committed to helping one another with God's word are not your enemy. So don't, you even more than our enemies, we should be treating each other with love, right? Romans 12, 14, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who, who attack you. We should be loving and reaching out to in all of our actions, seeking to build up and not tear down, right? Ephesians 4.29 would encourage us in our communications to speak words that build up, that meet the need of the moment, and not words that tear down. So watch your main goal, watch your methodology, and watch your motivation. Make sure that when you act online, you're doing so out of love. Now, love sometimes will act in ways that inflict pain, that are hard to hear, that are difficult. But as we know, faithful are the wounds of a friend, deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. We can do that, but make sure that you're actually doing it for the love of everybody involved in the situation. For those who are online who are adversarial to biblical counseling, again, as I mentioned, I I would love to engage with you individually, personally. Uh, Others in our movement would love to do so as well in honest, clear, humble ways, loving ways. Uh, And I just want to challenge you. It is unfair, unkind, and intellectually dishonest for you to characterize an entire movement based on the faulty teaching of one representative or a minority representative of that group. If you had an encounter with one doctor who was was a poor doctor, or maybe uh, he's a great doctor generally but says one thing that's out of whack, you would not write off the entire medical establishment or medical community, and you wouldn't treat all doctors as though they were bad or evil or, or believe that one particular thing. None of us should resort to such poor thinking and argumentation. That's just not uh, honest. It's not fair. It's not right. Um, and it's, it, it doesn't do anybody any good. As I said before, and I'll say it again, the overwhelming majority of people in the biblical counseling movement are teaching and promoting and advising and counseling in ways that push people towards protection and away from harm. So how are we as a biblical counseling coalition responding 
a couple things that we're going to do. One, I want to let you know that we're not we're not doing this in a, in a capitulation or caving to public pressure. Um, I just want to say very clearly the idea that silence on a matter equals assent or complicity is is a faulty th- concept. It's not actually clear right thinking. Uh, but that also doesn't mean that we should ignore situations that are important. Uh, we recognize the importance of the issue of abuse. We want to speak clearly and boldly for the sake of God and the people created in his image and for his word. We want to communicate clearly in love for the vulnerable. That's why we're responding with this podcast and then some other things that I'm going to share in just a moment. What I want to do and encourage you to do is to promote the proper biblical teaching on this sensitive, important topic that is held by and promoted and taught and written about by the majority of the biblical counseling movement. So what we are going to do, one, I'm releasing this podcast, obviously. Then we're going to release two of our Equip to Care resources on abuse. The Equip to Care resources is something that we give to our partners on a monthly basis. Uh, We're going to release two of those publicly for everybody to have, everybody to use however you want. Uh, Those will go out publicly, two of them on the topic of abuse. We're going to run a new mini-series on the topic of emotional abuse. We're going to release an excerpt from the annual guide to biblical counseling resources that we just released publicly, that that large 264-page e-book that lists all of the resources on biblical counseling. We're going to release an excerpt for uh, just the abuse resources. Every book on biblical counseling that that addresses the topic of abuse we're going to make that publicly available for free. And then we're going to create a single web page on our website that compiles all of our resources on abuse, as well as many other resources that are available for free online from biblical counselors on the topic of abuse. And I want you to encourage, I want to encourage you to do the same and just share everything that is good about biblical counseling. We, If you haven't heard, or if you're not aware, I think most of us are, Social media has been written and created and has algorithms that that promote the negative. And we tend to get spun up and fired up and share more quickly things that we disagree with than things that we agree with. We need to recognize that sinful tendency in our heart, recognize the sinful uh, reality of that thing that has been created by sinful hearts and fight against it and be for promoting what is good, honorable, right, lovely, above reproach, worthy of praise, rather than just getting fired up and re-sharing all of the negativity that's out there. In particular, on this issue of abuse, we're going to make it easy for you. We're going to put it all into one page where you can just share one link, and people can go and find amazing, great help and resources on the topic of abuse. I know this podcast has gone a little bit longer than normal, so thank you for hanging in with me. And I just want to share uh, kind of a final word to victims. I, I want you to know and I want you to hear from me, a person who is a victim of abuse, uh, somebody who witnessed abuse in, in, in families around my home growing up, um, and somebody who has ministered to many people who've been abused and seen the impacts of abuse in so many ways and so many families and in people and in generations after the fact. Um, I love you. We as a biblical counseling movement love you. We are for you. We care for you. For those victims of abuse who are believers, I want to encourage you that God can and will use 
your even your most horrible experiences, the most horrible memories that you have, maybe the whole, most horrible experiences that you're living through right now, he can and will use those things to mold you to be like Jesus and then to shine his light through you. That doesn't mean you need to stay in an environment of dangerous. That means that God can and will use those things to accomplish his great purposes. His, his mode of operation, the way he does things is to take horrible, disgusting, evil, gross, horrific experiences, circumstances, and lives and turn them into and transform them into beautiful treasures and, and shine his glory through us in ways that we could never imagine. Um, I have had the opportunity many times to minister to people who've been abused, who never talked to anybody else about it before because I was able to, willing to, and vulnerable enough to share with them that I had been abused. Of course I would have chosen had I had the option to not go through what I went through, but looking back on it now, something that happened over almost over four decades ago, I have seen and continue to see God use it in my life to mold and shape me to be like Jesus and to minister to so many others who are in hiding and isolation and afraid to speak up until somebody else shares with them. You may not be in that position yet, but I want to encourage you that God can use your story, your experience for great, great, great good in your life and the lives of other people that you will have an opportunity to connect with and shining forth the redemptive power of him and his gospel and his glory. For those victims out there who might listen to this, who don't know Jesus as your personal savior, maybe you're being abused by somebody who proclaims the name of Christ. What I want you to understand and to realize is they are false witnesses. They don't love Jesus if they are abusing you. You have an advocate. You have somebody on your side. You have somebody who, who loves you so much. He was willing to experience abuse, rejection, abandonment, torture, and unjust execution on your behalf. His name is Jesus. He was God. He is God. And he came to this earth giving up the glories of heaven to come down and walk on this dusty earth, be spit on, attacked, accused, called crazy, rejected by his family, by his friends, and to even die for you because he loved you. One of the most famous Bible verses you may or may not have heard says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And his call to you is, I love you, and I want you to turn away from, acknowledge and turn away from the sin that is in your life because I have come to redeem you for something better. I've called to, I've died on, beha- on your behalf for your sins so you don't have to pay the penalty for those sins. And, if, and he rose again three days after he was died, conquering death, conquering sin. And he says to you freely, follow me. I have bought for you an eternity with my heavenly father. I will make you a home. I will invite you into my family. I will love you, care for you, never abandon you, be with you forever. All you need to do is believe in me. Confess your sin lay it down at my feet, take my hand and walk with me. 
That's his message to you. Wherever you are, that is the gospel. You deserve, what we actually deserve is far worse than abuse, which is hard for us to hear, hard for us to understand. But God didn't want us to get what we deserved. He wanted us to get far more and far greater than we ever could imagine or ask. So lay down your life, call out to him, and follow him. He loves you. He's for you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Thank you for praying for and seeking to minister those who have been harmed by abuse and those who are even afflicting abuse. Let us all walk humbly, pointing each other to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. It's in his name that we do all of these things. It's in his name that we pray. And in his name that I want to thank you and encourage you to go forward living for him. Thank you for listening today. I hope it was encouraging to your soul. Thank you for listening to today's episode of 1514. If you'd like to find out more about the Biblical Counseling Coalition, you can visit our website at biblicalcc.org. Special thanks to our podcast engineer, James Wills, who does all the post-production editing to make this podcast sound so wonderful. Also want to thank my assistant, Carrie Felton, for helping to arrange these interviews. And a special thanks to Andrew Riddell, who composed and recorded the music we use on 1514. I hope you have a wonderful day.